Welcome to a new episode of the African Developers Podcast. My name is Kesir. I am your host. My guest today is Edem Kumoji. Edem is a software engineer from Ghana. He is currently working as a senior consultant for Andela. Adam is also sort of a celebrity in the Ghanaian tech ecosystem. He's been mentoring junior developers, pushing for higher salaries for software engineers. Uh, Adam, it's an honor to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Cool. So how would you introduce yourself? Um, well, my name is Adam. I, uh, I'm a senior uh, consultant at Andela, but uh, you know, I, I consider myself to be a, a software engineer, um, which is you know, what I've basically been doing for the last 10 years. Um, I'm also um, very active in the community. So I would say community organizer. And I like to, you know, mentor and help people figure out how to, you know, get into the tech industry and make a career out of it. You seem, you seem like a very successful software engineer. And I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, how did it all begin and how did you become the successful software engineer that you are today? <laughs> I don't know if I would say I'm successful yet because I'm still, uh, you know, I'm still trying to get there. Um, but so how did it all start? Um, so I, I mean, I grew up, I grew up around computers. Um, you know, my dad, you know, because he's a consultant, he used to bring, he, he used to have a, a desktop at home. That he was going to work on, and then he had a laptop when he was traveling. Um, so I, I've seen computers like you know from when I was maybe like seven or eight, and then my grandmother, where we used to spend uh, we used to spend vacations, like all of us, my cousins, and all, we used to all meet at my grandmother's house for vacation after school. And she also had a you know like this really old computer, like I think it was Windows ninety five, um, and my elder cousin installed. Um, some games on it. So we used to play games on that. So I, I kind of, um, you know, always stayed around computers, played around with them. Um, you know, I've seen, and one of my uncles was a systems admin at the time. So I've seen, you know, like him, like building a computer from scratch himself and, you know, all these kind of things. But, uh, all, all that experience was really very, very, it was more into like, you know, putting a computer together to go to play games, right? Just have fun with it. So it was nothing. Uh, there was no software, like, you know, writing code, whatever. But my very first experience, um, you know, writing code was I had this little computer toy from VTech and um, it came with a manual. And so you could write some commands to draw shapes, right? So like a circle, um, you know, uh, a square, um, rectangle, triangle, things like that. And, you know, so the thing that was interesting was um, back then um, I would see, you know, some um, some tutorials online where they would give you like the code and then you could just copy that. And then you draw things like flowers and, you know, like a, a picture with a tree. It was, you know, I, I really understand what the code was saying. I just knew that you, know, if you copy and paste this code. This is the image you get out of it. Right. So when I think back now, that was like the earliest experience I had, you know, like putting some code into a computer and then seeing something happen. Um, I did try to learn how to code, um, in high school and for context, I, I, I studied, um, you know, my, my, my earliest, um, you know, before university, I studied in the French system. So I was in Togo because my parents are from there. So I was born here, but I moved to Togo, um, you bought, you're born here, the, meaning 
you were born in Ghana. Yeah, right? so I was born in Ghana. Um, I moved to Togo um, during the. I mean, my parents moved to Ghana during the you know political things happening in Togo in the late nineties. No, sorry, yeah, late eighties. And then um, you know, so I was born here. I went to kindergarten and like maybe like primary school, class one and two or something. And then I moved back. And I went to school like throughout to um, um, to high school, and then I came back to Ghana for university. Right. So uh, when I was in high school, I you know like because of all the movies we were watching at the time, like all these hacker movies, see all these movies where people are doing cool things on a computer, and you're like, yeah, I want to learn how to do this and things like that. So you know, I remember my my uncle giving this book, which was like C plus plus. It was written in English, so I didn't understand Jack. Um, you know, it was just really complicated. Even though I could speak English, it's like the, the material was very hard to, you know, consume and understand. Um, and that's also because, like, you know, we, I didn't know things like integer and string. And, you know, we know in the French system, we don't really um, talk about these things. So it's only when you do, like, let's say, entry-level math at, in university that you start learning about some of these um, structures. So I couldn't do that. Um, but then when I came to uni, I... Um, I went to Legon, so I, 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 my first, my, I took, I took um, mathematics, statistics, computer science. In my well, first what year. is what is Legon for our international audience? Univer- right, so that's the University of Ghana. Um, we call it University of Ghana Legon. Um, so that's the, I guess the, the, the university with the biggest um, student population in Ghana, and also. You know, like the I guess the I guess the the one that is the most well known, um, you know, for people who are from not from Ghana. And if you think about anything about higher education, University of Ghana will be like the, the first on the list. Um, if you're thinking about anything that has to do with science and technologies, then KNUSD will be. But yeah, so I went to University of Ghana, and so I was I was there to study mathematics, statistics, computer science. The goal for me at the time was my dad wanted me to, um, I mean, like I was, I was good at math when I was in high school. Like math was something that I didn't have to study and, you know, learn or, you know, it was just like, you know, I, I understand if I, if I read the, you know, like the formulas and I, I see, you know, how things are derived, I, I would try to understand it instead of memorizing the final formula. So I could just take any math problem and solve it easily. And because I was lazy, I just wanted to study things that I know wouldn't be too hectic. My dad is like, well, if you know, if you if you are good at math, you should you should study math in in university, and then um, you know you can go do something like actuarial science or um, you know like specialize in banking and finance for a master's or something like that. So that's what that's what he had in mind. So the goal for me was to be, to do math and statistics um, and get a bachelor's degree in that, um, and then work a little bit and then go back to school and do either banking, finance, or write professional exams to become an actuary. Um, so. For those who don't know what an actuary is, actuaries are people who um, are able to use um, statistical models to predict um, future events. And they usually get employed by insurance companies. And insurance companies use them generally to do things like calculate mortality rates for, you know, like a country. And they can use that to figure out um, how much they should be charging for life insurance policies. Um, they can calculate things like, you know, how likely it is for um, a car to have an accident based on some data. And they use that to basically price how much they should charge for insurance. So they do all these kind of things. And it's all based on data, right? So it's like statistics, data, they do predictions. So they, they used to work a lot for insurance companies. Prehistorical machine learning. <laughs> yeah. 
you can say that because those days, I mean, like there, there was no, I mean, like we'll get back to that. But basically the reason why actuary was, actuarial science was interesting is because, you know, like in statistics, it's all about taking a sample and then extrapolating results based on that sample because you cannot, you know, see or you cannot count every single person. So when you think about how, um, you know, people estimate how many people live in a country, it's, you know, they're basically taking little samples and then giving you an estimate. So like, yeah, but now we have the computers to actually compute the real data. So we don't have to, you know, do samples, right? Um, so yeah, so that's what my dad wanted me to do. And I was cool with it because I'm like, yeah, whatever, like whatever I would do, it's okay. Um, and then, um, so computer science was something I was supposed to drop after the, my first year. And for context, University of Ghana, when you move from one year to the other one, you essentially drop a subject until you get to your third year. And then you, you either choose two subjects that you combine, so you, which is what we call the combined major, or you choose one single subject and that becomes a single major. So then after, after my, you know, first year, I got introduced to, you know, like introdu introduction to programming, you know, or C++. Um, we did things like calculating GPA, um, you know, like taking inputs, you know, returning outputs, stuff like that. Not, nothing, nothing really complicated. I didn't really enjoy it that much, but then, um, that vacation, I went to, um, NIIT because my dad, again, we didn't want me to just stay at home and not be doing anything. He believed that, you know, like at university level, you should do an internship or do some kind of professional program every single holidays. Um, so, you know, because it was my first year, I didn't have, you know, enough knowledge to be doing internships. Um, so he sent me to NIIT to go study for, I can't remember the name, but it was this software engineering diploma thing um, that was like three months long. And, you know, basically they were teaching Visual Basic, SQL Server, and building Windows applications, stuff like that. Nothing complicated, but I think it was pretty intensive. And at the end, you had to present like a like a fully a full working Windows application with the database connection, and you know, do like a full demo, and that's how you get created, right? And the thing that was cool is that you you had to work in a team, so it wasn't just you. And this is this is this was before you know Git was a thing. This was before we had any sort of like online code collaboration. So you had to. Um, meet in person, write code, copy on USB drive, send it to this person, you know, that kind of thing. That's how we're collaborating. So that was my first experience working in a team, you know, like in a, in a collaborative environment. And I really enjoyed, you know, starting from a problem that we wanted to build a solution for modeling it, modeling the, what the database structure was going to look like, writing all the classes and the methods, building the UI. It was, it was, it was interesting. Like I, I learned a lot from that experience. And then, so when I came back to school, um, now because it was my, I was, you know, I was going to my second year then, um, what happened was the way we do registration in University of Ghana at the time was you have to, when you, when you come to school, you go pay your school fees and then you get, uh, a, a receipt from the bank. You take the receipts to the finance office of the school. And then they give you an official receipt that clears you to register for your courses in every department. And then you have to go to every single department, you know, write down the same information, you know, student's ID, name, whatever, all these things. And then they register you for each of the courses you're taking, right? And because, again, the University of Ghana is one of the biggest universities, if not the biggest in terms of student population in the country. So you can imagine how long it can take. You go to a, a department and there are, you know, like 4,000 people <laughs> trying to register at the same time. Um, so registrations could take up to two and three weeks. And, you, and the thing is, you even have to start classes, you know, like 
before you finish your registration process because it's not um you know it's not straightforward there are many people who are trying to register it's you know you wait in queues for a long time it was a very frustrating experience so then i was trying to think wow there has to be a better way for us to do this thing and you know so basically all the skills that i learned from the time i had spent at nit i was trying to think what can i do to build something just to prove that it's it's possible you know like there, there has to be a way for us to do this and and stuff it wasn't to you know show to the school or show to anyone it was just for me my personal you know learning experience and trying to think about it from the angle of this is a problem that a lot of people are facing how can i use technology to solve it right um so that's what guided me through the process of building a you know like a I guess like a very basic version of what a student's information system would be, um, you know, it allowed um, students to register um, in the application. Um, you know, there was a there was a module for creating courses that, you know, were available and then a place where students could pick the courses they are taking for, e for every semester. Um, and then so you could view like a student profile and then see all the information and then the courses they are taking. Um, there was also like a grading um, module for adding grades for each course. It was, you know, I was just playing around. I wasn't really trying to think of whatever I can add and all that. And then one of my friends, you know, saw it and he's like, whoa, this is this is really cool. But you don't expect people to be downloading this application, right? Like they're not going, nobody is going to go on some websites and then download that. So I was like, oh, OK, I didn't think about that. So how like, whoa, whoa, how would you distribute it? And he's like, you should make it a web app. And so that's what led me to learning how to do web dev. Um, so back then, you know, ASP.NET was the logical step since I already knew, I was already working with Visual Basic and, you know, I, I was coming from .NET. So I learned ASP.NET, I, I learned HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and then I basically converted the entire application into a web app, you know, and understood like the, the differences between the life cycle of a web page compared to the life cycle of a Windows application, things like that. So it was a, it was a, you know, it was a, it was an interesting experience. And then, um, you know, like somebody, you know, in, in my computer science class, saw it one time and then he was like, oh, he's working for this company um, and they are they are building um, they are building a hotel booking um, service for an international conference that's coming up soon. Because this was again, this was the days, these were the days when, you know, booking.com didn't, even if they existed, they were not, you know, there was no hotel in Canada you could find there. So if, if people were trying to book hotels from outside the country, it's either they are going to have someone do it manually for them here, or, you know, somebody had to build a custom service for that, right? So because of what he saw I, I could do with the whole student registra registration and stuff, he figured, you know, it could, it should be the same model for, um, doing, you know, hotel registration, like, you know, have rooms that are reserved, a customer. So basically what I call students will become a customer and then what were courses would become like hotel rooms, right? So he felt it would be the same modeling. So it, should, it shouldn't take too long. So that's how I got my first job, I guess, um, you know, while I was still in school. This was 2008. So yeah, 2008, it was a pretty fun project. We worked on it together. Um, I think that's also when I got introduced to SDN. I think the full name is Subversion. Um, and it's also a, a version control system, kind of like Git, but this was before Git, right? So this was before Git became a standard. Um, and the limitations of SVN is that you couldn't, um, you couldn't push, you couldn't commit code locally and then push it. So basically it's like, it's like you have to be online and you download the code. And then when you make any changes, you upload the code, right? So there was no concept of, you know, like a local version of 
your code. There was no concept of branches. There was no concept. There was nothing like that, right? So if you had two people who are working on, let's say, um, let's say the same file, for instance, back then, I'm sure they've improved now, but back then, SVN would not be able to do things like show you merge conflicts and and stuff like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so it's like you know when you when when you finish writing some code, you push it immediately. If somebody had also written um, some code there, it's only allow you to push. So you have to pull that person's code, but then that person's code would maybe override what you had. So you had to like copy your version or have your 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 the version of your code in like a clipboard download the new version and then you know try and see what was different and then you insert your code and it was it was really terrible but that was the only thing that we had back then um you know um so that's when i got introduced to svn that's when i got introduced to like you know like i mean i knew how to build web apps but i had never done anything like hosting them on a server buying a domain you know um managing a server like a, a windows server things like that I, I had no idea how to do these things um so i got introduced to a bunch of these things and and it was pretty cool and then after that i you know, I, then because I, I knew how to do web development, then I, I started also doing like little websites here and there. I, I redid my dad's company's website. You know, you know, he gave it to me and said, yeah, just do it. He paid me a bit of money for it as a summer project. Uh, and then from there, you know, like people randomly reach out to me because they've, they've heard of me. Give me like web later website projects, you know, like 200 cities kind of thing. <laughs> and then um, so I did that till you know, finished um, university. Then uh, the same person who contacted me at the time for the, the hotel booking websites also became my first employer after school. And um, so he was he started his own company. He wanted someone to essentially assist him and help him with everything um, that he was going to be working on. And because we had worked together, we had a pretty good start. So he actually taught me C sharp. So even though um, I knew Visual Basic, you know, I was working with .NET. He worked with C sharp. So because I had to work with him. I had to learn C sharp, which was which was okay because I, I learned C plus plus in school. So learning C sharp wasn't too terrible. It was still using .NET, but instead of writing Visual Basic, you're just writing a different syntax. Um, so yeah, so I learned C sharp from him. His name is Paul Otre. Um, so you know, uh, he, the company is called Illogix. Um, so I stayed at Illogix for two years, I believe. Um, you know, so I guess between 2000 and, 2009 and 2011. I think 2009, 2010, and 2011. And while I was there, um, you know, this company um, was coming to Ghana, uh, and they were looking to. They they, ha they didn't have a clear idea of what they wanted to do. They just knew that um, Africa was the next step for them. They had already they already have presence in South America, Europe, um, Asia, and you know, um, I think they tried going to the states, but it didn't really work out for them. So they wanted to explore Africa. Um, so they had a bunch of things they wanted to do, e-commerce, um, classified, uh, news websites, because they're a media company, a company is called Ringye. Um, so when they were coming, I guess they were looking for recommendations and, you know, like people they should be talking to. They wanted to build their own tech team. Um, you know, I heard about them and then, uh, you know, we had an interview. It went well. And they essentially told me, Hey, um, you know, you're, you're like the first person we are hiring for this role. So, uh, we are going to rely on you to essentially build like the tech team and, you know, everything tech related. Right. And that was a really scary experience because I was 22 <laughs> or 23. I can't remember. And, you know, so imagine being 23 and being like, 
made a senior engineer when you don't even know what it, being a senior engineer means. Um, but it was it was a really good experience because at Ringier we got to learn so much and play around with so many things without really having to worry about resources and things like that. So um, we got to build um, tissue.com.gh that was uh, kind of like Groupon at the time. Um, we got to build, uh, there was another website called jobs.com.gh which had done eventually. Um, there was pulse.com.gh which is still running today. And then there were a bunch of other things that, you know, so I mean, that's the thing. Ringy was very open to experimenting with whatever. And then whatever works, then, you know, they will keep it. Whatever, you know, uh, doesn't work, they just, they just shut it down. Um, so I started Ringy for um, two and a half years. So I went from, you know, like being the only engineer on the team to getting a bunch of people in. Um, I think, I think it was really a ringy that while I was a ringy that people started, you know, hearing of my name, um, kind of. And that's because, um, you know, ringy was doing all these like really new things that nobody was seeing on the market. So, you know, obviously everybody wants to know who is the tech people behind this thing because they heard it's not like a product that was being bought or, you know, a product that was being built from some company outside, like they heard there was a local team of devs, you know, in Ghana that were building these things. So they naturally you want to know who is behind that, right? Um, so that's, I think that's, I guess that's how, you know, like my name started going around a little bit. And I think, I think that's, that's when we met. Yeah, that's also where we met. <laughs> yeah, that's where we met because I, I think I was big on, I was big on trying to bring in the best talent and trying to connect with the best people, um, you know, in the tech industry. And, um, you know, like I, I did a couple, like we were hiring for some interns at one time and we had a bunch of people who came from different schools and all the interns we ended up hiring that year were all from Ashesi. And I think even though I knew of Ashesi, um, you know, as a university, I didn't really understand or, you know, like um, think about the quality of the, the program or the quality of the people there. Um, but then that really, you know, I, I, I immediately paid attention to that because I was like, whoa, this is, this is definitely, you know, a school that we should have a stronger partnership with. So I guess after that, we attended um, a couple of um, Ashesi career fairs, um, you know, had a good relationship with the, what's her name again? Can't remember. There was this lady who was in charge of um, career opportunities. Ophelia. Ophelia, yes, Ophelia. <laughs> so Ophelia was really like, she was like my partner in crime whenever I needed, you know, any devs or any anybody basically. So um, there was a bunch of people who, you know, like came to Ringy. I mean, they, they moved on to do bigger things after Ringy, but it was like Ringy gave them that first experience of building, you know, things in the, as a startup environment in Ghana. You know, that was, was interesting, you know, like, you know, I mean, like there was definitely that phase where we didn't really know a lot of the things and we're trying to figure things out as they were happening. <laughs> but the thing that was cool with Ringy is that, you know, because they had um, this, this um, appetite for risk and the way, it basically is like, you know what, everything I'm doing right now, nothing is going to work. And that's okay. Like, even if nothing works, we are here to learn. So that really gives us, give us the opportunity to say any idea we had, like, we'll just throw it out there and see what happened. Um, and I think in the end, you know, they've done really well with the media website. So Pulse is, you know, he's doing pretty well right now. And I think for them, it makes sense because since they are a media company, like they understand media better than anyone. So, you know, it made sense to build a platform around media consumption. So while I was there, um, obviously I'm, I'm the kind of person who I, I get, I'm, I'm always, I, I like learning, right? I, 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 I always wanted to 
I never wanted to get to the point in my career where I plateau, right? Um, and so I started feeling that way every year uh, because, again, keep in mind that when they hired me, they, they basically put me in charge of an entire team. Um, so at one point, my team was seven people um, and I was barely writing any code, right? And it became more management meetings, more, you know, like uh, sales acquisition, uh, you know, analyzing, sending reports on a weekly basis, things like that, than actually writing code. And I missed that, right? I began to feel like, um, I mean, like I, this, this, this whole thing is nice. Like being a manager and all that at 25 is great, but I, that's not really me. Like I, I didn't feel like I was learning anymore and stuff. So I started looking for opportunities. Um, and as early as this was 20, 2012, right? 20, as early as 2012, I knew that whatever opportunity I'm going to be looking for next, it, it has to be outside Ghana. Yeah. So let me tell you. So I looked at a couple of companies around. You know, I looked at, you know, Rankard Solution was there. The Hoptail was, well, SMSGH at the time was there. Um, there were, and then, you know, and there's a b- bunch of other, like, smaller companies. I think at the time, um, the two big companies that you could work for if you were in tech were either Rankard or Hoptail. I mean, there was also, like, B Systems and... What's the name of the other one? Uh, I, I can't remember the name. There were a couple of other ones, but it's like, oh yeah, Soft Tribe as well. But then when I looked at the work that we were doing at Ringe and I looked at the work that was happening at SMS, GH and all that, it felt like if I were to join any of these companies, right, I would plateau again, right? In the sense that these companies were focused on one product, right? One product that they had already been building for a while. And so if you join the company, you are going to basically be maintaining this product. And the challenge for me with working in this kind of environment is that in the end, you would build so much expertise in one particular field and be completely blind to everything else that's going on. Right. So think of it this way. If you work at Hotel, you know, um, five, six years ago when they didn't have, you know, they were not into payments and they were not doing any of these things. Right. It was basically SMS. Right. Everything else, everything is just SMS, okay? Um, which means that you would build a lot of expertise in understanding, you know, like SMS standard, how, you know, what it takes to send a message over the wire, like all this, you know, what it takes to scale up a messaging platform. You'll get all that, right? But then imagine that you build that expertise, you know, six, seven years, eight, ten years, right? And then one day SMS becomes completely irrelevant. Then you get back on the market and you've built all this expertise and it's, it's not applicable anywhere anymore. Right. So that's what I was really scared of. Right. Like I want, I, again, I, I really wanted to avoid becoming post technical. And if you look at me, many of what many people do in the industry is, you know, they work during a particular time when they are exactly at the right place in terms of technology. And then, um, you know, when that technology becomes irrelevant, they would have moved on in their career and become managers and then they become you know, managers who are not really in touch with, you know, the current technology trends. So I didn't want that. So I knew that, okay, so if I stay in Ghana, I'm going to work on one of these companies that are focused on one specific space. And I, I didn't want that. So I had to look outside. Um, so I started applying for jobs, Facebook, Twitter, Google. Uh, you know, I, I did a Google interview. It was horrible. I failed horribly. <laughs> uh, I, did, I did a Twitter interview. That actually went well, but you know, um, they had reached their quota for people they were hiring for that quarter. Um, you know, and then, so that's how I heard about ThoughtWorks as well. I mean, I knew ThoughtWorks because we're using agile techniques um, at Ringi at one time, you know, as we're 
experimenting with different techniques and stuff. We came across Agile and they had an event in Ghana. Uh, attended the event. I think I, you know, I got a bunch of people also to attend that event. I think I was at that event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I know I, I, I got a lot of people saying, hey, there's ThoughtWorks coming to Ghana. You guys should come. At the time, they were looking to start a company in Ghana. So that for me was great because I felt like, okay, if a company like ThoughtWorks is coming to Ghana, that's great for us because it means that, you know, I can get the kind of experience I'm looking for without necessarily leaving the country. But then, you know, I, I got hired by ThoughtWorks. You know, I had to go to South Africa to do the interviews. They went well. And then I was basically you mean in South America. While waiting. no I, I went to South Africa for the interviews so I oh, actually I see. Um, during yeah during the interview process I started the interview so the interview process is interesting so they give you they don't do like these online coding challenges they give you an actual problem and you have to you know solve it um, like a home assignment and then when you submit it to them they review the code that you wrote and then if the code looks good then they will schedule um, like a pair programming session with you right so that pair programming session happened in South Africa. So after that interview, they basically flew me there. Um, you know, I had the, the, it was basically like a one day event where, you know, we had pair programming session. We had a system design um, interview and then we had like a cultural fit interview. Um, and then, you know, I came back and then they told me I, had, I, I got hired. So the thing is that the pair programming session was basically to make sure that you wrote the code because they would change some of the parameters and see how comfortable you are making the changes to your code, right? And so, so yeah, so, you know, I came back to Ghana waiting for them to start in Ghana. Um, and then eventually they told me, hey, you know, Ghana is not going to happen anymore. Um, actually, no, actually, they told me, they told me we actually don't have any idea when Ghana is going to happen. So we're going to send you to South America uh, for you to, you know, like start working, get some experience there. And then when Ghana is ready to start, then you can come back, right? Um, so that's how I ended up in South America. Uh, and it was a great experience. I mean, like <laughs> before I joined ThoughtWorks, I did not know. I mean, I thought I knew. I mean, I, I, I felt like I had plateaued, but you know, like I felt like I had plateaued in the sense like, okay, I have learned everything that I could learn from this place and, you know, I need to learn more, right? And then I got to ThoughtWorks and then I realized that everything I thought I knew about software development were completely wrong, <laughs> right? So I had to basically unlearn everything that I know and then start all over again, which was actually really good for me because it was at ThoughtWorks I learned, you know, how to write code that you can test properly, you know, how to do proper object-oriented programming, you know, um, all the best practices around, like, you know, agile software development. And, you know, ThoughtWorks turned me from a basic software developer and made me a consultant, right? Um, you know, like how you, you relate with customers that you're talking to, how you work with, like, the, the developers, on client sites, all these things were things that, you know, um, I got to learn there. And the culture there was, you know, it was constantly learning. Like we had books in the in the library of the company all the time. When new books came out, you know, people were ordering the books and putting them in the library. You could borrow them and, you know, read them anytime. This was in Quito in Ecuador, right? Yeah, this was in Ecuador, yeah. So I was based in Ecuador, um, but I moved around a bit, um, you know, spent, I was, I was going to the U.S. every now and then. I was going to Brazil, um, you know, so it was basically, I was basically between uh, Quito, New York, and, um, you know, either Porto Alegre or Recife in Brazil, you know, but we usually used to go there for like offsites, team offsites. And then I worked on a project where part of the team was also there. So it was, it was pretty cool. So I was just moving around. Um, and that was a, it was a really good experience. I, I spent, I spent three years at ThoughtWorks and the amount of stuff I learned in three years at ThoughtWorks were more than I could have ever imagined 
<laughs> learning in forever. Like I, I would have never gotten to learn all these things if I had stayed in Ghana or worked for any other company. So that was that was really really cool. So you know, I I got to also um, work for different domains. You know, like I worked I worked in um, insurance and investment banking. So I was working on like really large scale applications for clients that were dealing with you know like lots of transactions, a lot of money that was moving around and stuff. So that was it was a, it was a really good experience, and I had great mentors. Um, you know, who had been at the company for a long time. So they've seen pretty much everything. And I think, I think my mentors at ThoughtWorks were even, you know, um, it's because of them that my management style changed as well. You know, I went from like telling people what to do to, you know, making them find out things for themselves and guiding them in the process. So after spending three years at ThoughtWorks, one thing, so something interesting really happened. Um, I, we, we finished working on this project and, and this project was basically um, you know, we're trying to build an application that will help the finance team um, of this investment bank um, process um, payouts for um, investment um, traders, right? So the investment traders are buying and selling stock on the stock exchange markets. And so they get paid on a weekly basis for whatever trades they've made, right? And they used to do all this work in Excel sheets. It was a very cumbersome thing. So we were building an application to help them um, process these things faster, right? And at the end of the of the project, like when we actually delivered that application, you know, we got these messages from the finance team telling us how we are so amazing, we've made their work so much better and all that. And everybody was really happy, like, you know, but then for me, even though I was happy, I still felt very unfulfilled, right? Because I had gotten to this point in my career where I have gotten like all this knowledge, right? All these, I've learned all these things and stuff. And then I think back to people that I knew, you know, who were in Ghana, who also had so much potential. Um, who could become, you know, who I, who I think I've been smarter than, than I am, who could benefit from all of this knowledge. And just because they didn't get the experience that I got or they didn't get the opportunity that I got, they are still in Ghana doing things, you know, in, in the, not the right way. You know, they are building an application in the best way they, they know, but that's not necessarily the right way. And that's, that's really bothered me, you know, because um, I, I'll speak, I spoke to my, my manager one time and you know, she, she said like, wow, like basically if I had never come to Ecuador, they would have never imagined that, you know, there was tech talent in Africa. Like she, and she was being honest because there was no, there was nothing, there was no PR or there was no news or there was no articles talking. And this was before Andela, right? So you, you like think about it that way. Like there was nothing that showed, you know, anybody in Africa could, you know, do this kind of work, right? So if I had not come and looking at how quickly I learned and I was able to catch up and, you know, go from, being like a, an entry-level consultant or a senior consultant, like they would have never known that there was anything like that. And then in my head, I kept thinking, like there are so many people that I know who are even better than I am at this thing and they just didn't get the kind of opportunity that I got. So I felt that sense of, I really need to go back home and contribute back. Like I need to make sure that these people also learn from my experience and then start doing things the right way. I also wanted developers in Ghana to start being at the the level that um, you know other developers from more mature markets are at, right? Because uh, when I think about it back now, the reason why I failed the Google interview and the Facebook interview was simply because there were things that I didn't know <laughs> back then that there was no way I could have known about them unless I actually got the the right kind of work experience, right? Um, they were not taught in school; you don't know them, so there's there's really no way. Um, so I had that that deep sense of, okay, I need to come back and contribute, um, you know, and, and help do something. So I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't have a job. I didn't have 
I just knew that, okay, it's time for you to go back to Ghana and do something. My wife at the time, you know, who was my girlfriend was, I mean, like she, she thought I was crazy. She was like, what? My, my dad was completely like, what? <laughs> you know, nobody understood why I wanted to just give up something that was going on really well for me and, and come back home. But yeah, so I, I told my, my manager the same thing. I was like, look, I, I, you know, I really love what I'm doing here. But it's, I, I really need to go back home and, you know, um, start something, you know. And she was like, oh, so what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I don't really know yet, but I know it's going to definitely involve doing more community work. Um, and again, because I've learned all these things um, from ThoughtWorks with regards to, like, you know, organizing events. We had, uh, I, I was a coach for Rails Girls for three years. Uh, we had, like, multiple um, lunch and learn. We had multiple events in Ecuador. Um, so I had seen how, you know, the impacts that this kind of community work can have. And I wanted to replicate that. So then I came back and I was like, yeah, so that's what I'm going to be doing. And she's like, well, okay. I mean, she understands why, because she's also, she also believes in the community and stuff. Um, and then she told me, if it doesn't work out, I can always reach out to her and always come back because, you know, I've been in Ecuador for like three years at the time. So it was kind of like my home. You know, I think if I go back to Ecuador today, it's, you know, uh, it's not going to feel unfamiliar. I can, you know. I can live live there just fine. So I came back to Ghana with no plan, with no. I, I just knew. I, I told myself, you know what? With this kind of experience you have, and and you know, having ThoughtWorks on your CV, you should be fine. Like you should be able to get freelance work. You should be able to do, you know, like work for people and get paid decently for it. So that should be okay, right? Um, and then luckily, once I got back to Ghana, I joined Geekstar. So Geekstar is a freelance network um, that's. Well, I mean, they, they were a startup at the time. They were just tying up. They were trying to get the best engineers they could find. And the, the promise that Geekstar was making is that they were not going to discriminate by, by location. So they would pay you exactly what any engineer in San Francisco would earn for work that you were doing, right? So that meant I could work for two weeks on Geekstar and get paid 2000 to $3,000, right? And that was that was really great. Like, I like the fact that I could live in Ghana and just do um, this kind of work. Um, so I joined Geekstar. Um, and Geekstar became my main source of income. And then on the side, I just became very active in the community. Um, so, you know, at the time, um, Andrew um, from Dev Congress also just moved back to Ghana or he was planning to move back. We started having conversations about things we can do in the community. Um, you know, uh, I started talking to people. I started, you know, like um, just reaching out more to people, reconnecting with people, seeing what's going on in the industry in Ghana finding out what the problems were. And then I realized that, you know, things were just the way they were before, we, which is companies were not providing the right kind of experience that developers needed to become, you know, like compete at the same level as developers from much more mature markets. And so I, I, I just knew that, you know, one of the things that we had to do was train people in these things. If you're not going to work for a company that can give you this kind of exposure, then it is up to us to make sure that, you know, we have... Um, the, the skill sets and the knowledge within the community, right? Um, so that's how that's how the idea of you know having meetups um, from Dev Congress and making them into like proper workshops, like you know where you are learning like new technologies, you're learning new techniques, new best practices. That's how it all started. And thankfully, I think the the community really resonated well um, to that idea. And uh, um, so yeah, so I guess I guess that's that it was it was through that um, you know that. Uh, when Andela was coming to Ghana, um, they wanted to have an event. They were reaching out to people. Andela just felt like a natural fit because what what they stand for aligns with my personal goals. 
Um, so joining Andela was was an opportunity for me to then, you know, like do the kind of work I was already used to doing at ThoughtWorks without having to leave the continent again. And then also be able to contribute to the community with, you know, um, the resources that I need um, to do that more effectively. So, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's a very long, in, uh, you know, <laughs> detailed career path. But that's, that's basically what, what I've, I've that, that's how I've gotten to where I am now. That's good, actually. You've, you've answered almost three of my next, of my next questions. Um, so in, in my, in my previous, in my, in the previous episode of this podcast, I was actually discussing with uh, Stephen about brain drain in Africa. And one of the reasons why people leave is that they don't have, uh, they see no path to becoming the software engineers that they want to be. There, there are not that many startups on the continent doing exciting stuff to, to maintain people on the continent. So they end up going to, as you did to South America with ThoughtWorks, went to Europe to work on, on more exciting problems. And I'm glad that people like you are coming back and actually uh, mm-hmm. training people, getting people to work on exciting stuff. Great. So you you ended up at Andela. Can you explain to people what Andela is and what it is that you do as a senior consultant? Andela is on a mission to train as many software developers in Africa as possible. We have a target for 100,000 in the next 10 years. But I, we could either, I think we'll probably exceed that target, right? And the reason why we are doing that is because Andela realized that Africa is basically the market where there are a lot of people that are really smart, but it's completely untapped. Um, you know, when you think about Asia, the market is already, you know, they have, they have a lot of companies there. They have a lot of, um, things going on. So they are good, right? India, India has been the, the, you know, the main country for outsourcing IT jobs for, I don't know, the last 20 years. Um, South America does outsourcing directly for the U.S. because they are geographically located in the same, um, you know, time zone, right? Africa is the only one that doesn't have that kind of, um, I guess, I guess we never had that kind of opportunity, right? But Africa is also the place where, because we are always leapfrogging um, in terms of technology, it's where, you know, applying technology to the problems that we will have will become very, very, very important, right? So the way Andela does that is, Andela says, you know what, we are going to find the, the smartest people we can get that are very passionate about technology. We're going to put them to a fellowship for four years. And after these four years, we expect them to become senior developers. And, you know, and be able to actually contribute to solving Africa's problems, right? And the way, the way I understood that or the way, the reason why this, this is so important to me is because, um, I'll tell you a little story. So my uncle is a systems admin, like I was saying, and he worked for a telco company, um, you know, and one of the things that really frustrated him was that, you know, he learned to do systems admin as a network engineer, right? Like, you know, just doing basic networking stuff, right? And then in the 90s, when, you know, telecom companies started coming, coming up in Africa, what happened, right? We basically had this massive need for telecom engineers and we didn't have enough um, trained telecom engineers on the continent to actually handle like the, the needs of, of, of all these companies. So what these telecom um, companies ended up doing is contracting, you know, um, Indian engineers, um, you know, contracting engineers from Ericsson and Siemens and, you know, all these people and bring them to Africa for them to come and do this work. And, you know, I'll hear stories from my uncle saying like, you know, they would bring these people in. They was, they would, I mean, like they, they would stay in a hotel. They would, they would just be having fun and all that. And they come and do work that, 
is maybe like one or two hours of work and gets paid so much money for it and then they go. And it used to really upset him because he's like, he doesn't understand why his company cannot send him on training to go and learn how to do these things and then simply, um, you know, bring him back and he gets work for them and then they, they will save a lot of money, right? And I'm sure this story will sound familiar to uh, many people in many industries. It happens in medicine. It happens in, um, you know, construction engineering. It happens in a bunch of other industries, right? It's only in tech that it hasn't happened yet, right? And the reason why it hadn't happened in tech yet was because in Africa, we are still used to um, buying our software. We buy our software. Like when you think about it, we are, we are buying software like, you know, Salesforce, um, what's it called? QuickBooks for accounting. Uh, you know, banks use um, this uh, FlexCube for their banking financial systems and stuff. So we haven't gotten to the point where the problems that we are dealing with are, you know, so unique to Africa that it requires us to build more custom applications, right? But the challenge is, if we wait until we get to the point where we are facing these problems, we are going to then find out that there aren't enough trained software engineers on the continent to solve these problems. And then the cycle repeats itself. We'll have to bring in engineers from, you know, Europe, uh, China, America, and co to kind of solve our problems. Whereas, uh, if we actually train these engineers locally, we'll have an abundance of talents to be able to tackle these problems. And I mean, of course, it's, 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 it's definitely easier to do that because, you know, other fields that have had these problems were more specialized because if you think about, you know, medical, like the medical field, you simply cannot bring, you simply cannot train people to become medical doctors. They actually have to go to school <laughs> for seven years and get a medical degree. Right um, and all that, but then with 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 engineering, with software engineering, it's all you need is a computer, internet access, and you can start learning how to code. Um, so that's what Andela is doing now. My work as a senior consultant. Um, so you have to remember that in the fellowship that we have, um, fellows learn how to code over a bootcamp period of about six months, and then after that they get placed on project, like real project with clients. Right. So we we currently have about um, two hundred clients. And we have about 1,000 developers in total right now. Um, and I think five or 600 of them are working on client engagements at the moment. So when Andela started in the beginning, um, it was, it was, we were basically targeting startups, right? So startups that were looking for work to do, they were looking for talents that was affordable because San Francisco was too expensive and stuff were willing to take a bet on, you know, Andela developers, right? And that worked just fine. As we started growing, we realized that couple of problems start happening. On one side, when you work for a startup, you can't guarantee that um, you are going to um, be using the best practices, um, you know, that actually you should know, okay? Because a startup is at the phase where they are trying to ship, they are trying to launch a product. They may not be, you know, writing clean code. They may not be using the best um, management techniques because they just really want to get something out there. So if you put a developer in that kind of environment, they are really not learning things that are going to be good for them, right? Um, so that was the first problem. The second problem is that um, the, the startups also, you know, could, could die at any time. If you take a startup that just raised, I don't know, like $100,000, they have enough money for maybe a year, right? If they don't raise more, they die, and that's it, right? So we, we have these issues where, you know, we we would have companies that you know would churn because they run out of money and you know stuff like that and it's not good for the morale and you know um, the growth of a developer if you know like they, they work on a project for like six months and then they have to change and then start all over again right so then the, the model had to change a bit where we're looking for 
companies that were more mature, companies that definitely still had the startup um, you know, DNA, but were more mature in the sense that they've already shipped some products and they are looking to scale their team to move faster and stuff like that, right? But at that point, the challenge then became um, these companies are not interested in hiring junior engineers, right? Because think about it, if they've already built a product and they are at a phase where they are trying to scale their team, they're not going to scale their team with junior engineers, right? Because they don't have the resources to train these junior engineers and stuff. They don't have the time and the resources to hold their hands and teach them all the things, right? Um, and so since we're not having, we didn't have senior developers on our side, um, you know, what kind of, like, how do you, how do you get these people placed, right? So when they like came up with this idea and said, if we can find, um, you know, like senior developers on the African continent that has had the experience of leading teams, they've, they've, you know, they've worked in consulting for a long time. So they understand, you know, what it takes to work, um, you know, for a client, for a client that's based overseas, they have experience working remotely, all these kind of things. Um, then we can convince these clients to get a senior developer plus one or two fellows start together, right? And that would basically mean that for the fellows, they have somebody who already has done what they are currently trying to do already. So they, they can learn from that person directly. And for the clients, it ensures that, you know, the quality of the work that's going to be done remains standard. And, you know, it doesn't, there's no, like there's less risk that you mess up because there is a senior developer on the team who is going to make sure that they are doing quality work and it's not going to slow them down, right? So that's how the whole senior consultant um, thing came up. It was originally supposed to be an experiment. Um, so Celestine was the first one who got hired. Um, after that, a couple of other guys came, Shegun, Ahmed. Um, and then, you know, in Ghana, so I think after hiring about five people in Nigeria, then um, you know, Andela came to Ghana and hired me and Samora, um, Solomon, um, you know, Selassie, a bunch of us. Um, how, ma- how many are you working from Ghana right now? We are currently 25. From Ghana? It's a, yeah, it's a big team. <laughs> wow. Because the last time we spoke, you were, about, you were about 10 people. 10, yes, yes. We were about 10. So we went from being 10 to 25 within a year. Um, Actually, we went from being six to 25 within a year. So because initially, we just had a few senior developers. We had about six people in Ghana. And the idea was we wanted to really see, um, you know, if this uh, setup of having one senior person and two or three fellows working in a pod on these engagements would work better, right? And the data showed that engagement that had senior developers and fellows lasted longer and, you know, um, in terms of quality, did much better than engagements without any senior developer, right? So then having senior developers became a very core part of our strategy, right? Um, so after we confirmed that, in, in, in fact, this works really well, we went fully in trying to hire people, you know, pretty much everywhere. So right now we are, we just started hiring from Egypt. Uh, and, you know, there are plans to hire from other countries as well. So it's, it's, it's something we, as we speak now, we actually have, more projects that haven't started yet because you simply do not have enough senior developers to work on them. That's how bad it is, right? So we are always hiring senior developers. Um, so yeah, so that that's basically the reason why. So my job essentially is on one side, I help the recruiting team find amazing people to hire, right? So I do interviews, I refer people, I speak to people about Andela, what we are doing and stuff like that. 
Um, then I also do assessments for fellows because we have a, an internal grading system where fellows move from one level to the other. So when they are moving levels, they have to get assessed, kind of like a think of it like a like an interview or like a performance ap um, approval or something something like that, right? Um, just to make sure that they have the skills to perform at the next level. Um, so we do assessments as well, and then I work on my main engagements, which is uh, you know like I get staff on a project with two or three people um, and we all work together on that engagement. Um, so the last engagement I just finished working on was for Code Climate. Um, if you don't know what Code Climate is, a company that builds tools for engineering teams to ensure that they are keeping the quality of their code base um, pretty high. Um, so I worked on that engagement for about six months. Um, I'm waiting to get placed on another engagement. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what I basically do on a daily basis. And then, you know, we also have like workshops. We travel every now and then when we have to, um, you know, I do mentorship for developers who are struggling um, or they are trying to learn new things and, and stuff. Um, so the thing that's interesting is that we, we have very, our senior consultants team is very diverse because uh, we have, we have people who have come from different backgrounds. Some people have been CTOs. Um, they have experience in specific fields like fintech. Some people have experience in machine learning, data science. Um, some people have started their own companies. Um, you know, so it's like that. The, there is there is no um, problem that you would you would have today that you would reach out to you know the group of senior consultants and not have people who have faced that before because of how diverse it is. Um, so and we have consultants in Ghana, Nigeria, Egypt, uh, Uganda, and Kenya. At the moment, Rwanda will be starting soon. Um, so yeah, so that's that's what that's what we do as senior consultants. As someone who is part of the African tech ecosystem, are there any interesting trends that you are seeing? Yeah, absolutely. People are beginning to, let's say, the the job of a software developer is get, begins to get noticed. If you ask any parents, like ten years ago, um, you know what you want your kids to do, you will hear things like lawyer doctor uh engineer you know <laughs> things like that right but then today um you know it's very common to hear parents say they want their kids to become software engineers they want their kids to learn how to code right um so that's that's one interesting trend like the fact that we've gotten to the point where um parents are beginning to realize that um we are moving towards a, a world that's going to be dominated with technology and it's important for their kids to be equipped with those kind of skills right um, the second trend I'm noticing is that um, more and more companies locally are beginning to, um, even if they are not like a tech company, they are more open to hiring you know, local talents because they know that these people have international exposure, international experience, um, you know, and they are, they are more willing to trust them. And these are things that we didn't see before. Um, some companies, you know, even go to the extent of saying they want to make sure they are, um, you know, writing good code. So they want to have the best developers they can have on their team. And so these are things that we didn't used to hear of before, right? And then a trend that is particular to Ghana is that salaries are also beginning to rise up just a little bit compared to, um, you know, like, I don't know, two or three years ago. Um, and I guess that's that's probably because again, because all these companies are looking for the best talents, um, they are willing to pay you know just a little more to keep those people if they find them. Um, yeah. And whereas before, um, you know, like engineers are just treated like 
yeah, if you don't want it, you can go. We are not, this is, you know. Um, so I, I would say like the, the job and the importance and the relevance is beginning to get noticed. Um, it's not where I would want it to be yet, but compared to a couple of years ago, it's definitely, um, you know, interesting to watch. And then, of course, the other thing is um, we are also beginning to really to really appreciate, um, you know, the power of being a community. Um, I mean, like when you think about communities that we have in Africa or in Ghana right now, you know, For Loop, Facebook Developer Circle, Dev Congress, Dev in Vogue. It's not like we didn't have communities of tech people in Ghana like 10 years ago. There were communities, right? But I think we are getting to that stage where like people are actively looking to get involved in the community and they are actively attending events and they are actively, these are things that, you know, we hadn't seen before. Um, you know, people are actively looking to network and learn and all these things. And I think that's, I think that's really powerful because I've always maintained that we can't, you know, grow or we can't get better if we can't actually come together. Right. So that, those are the trends that I'm seeing right now. And then, of course, there's a huge trend with regards to, you know, developers living the continent. I can't blame them. <laughs> I've done it myself. Um, and it's becoming a lot more common now. And that's because I think because of the work that Andela has been doing and, you know, a few other, you know, it's not just Andela. Andela has been doing that. And then, you know, we've had a bunch of companies on the continent that have also raised huge round of funding because they are solving really critical problems. So it has basically exposed Africa to the world and say that, hey, you know, there are actually really talented developers on the continent and for the right amount of money, you can hire them and make them move to you, right? Because the, the problem of finding developers is not just limited to Africa, it's a global problem. Um, so it's also become a huge trend to see, you know, many developers, um, you know, explore opportunities, uh, you know, outside the continent. Yeah. Cool. So, Adam, when you're not coding, when you're not uh, building startups and stuff like that, what do you do? <laughs> I mean, obviously, if I'm not coding, I, I'm still doing stuff for the community. So I have there are a bunch of people that I mentor personally. Um, so I try to set up meeting times with them just to like, you know, check up on what they are doing, where they are, what they are working on, give them guidance and stuff. So I have, you know, these kind of meetings regularly, a um, bunch of them in, in Ghana, some of them outside Ghana that I, you know, get on calls with and, and stuff. So I try to, you know, spend uh, two to three hours a week um, just talking to these people. Um, and then, of course, I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm always, you know, involved in some initiative or another, like, you know, somewhere, whether it is, uh, stuff for Andela that has nothing to do with my work or, you know, stuff for the community, maybe like preparing for a workshop, um, you know, attending an event somewhere, things like that. Um, and I guess, uh, I mean, if I'm not, if I'm not doing anything outside that, then I'm probably playing music, <laughs> uh, uh, just to relax, watching movies with my wife, um, you know, spending time with friends that I don't get to see very often. Um, yeah, that's, that's basically it. I'm not, I'm not really much of a, you know, like going out and kind of person. If I'm going out, I'm going, I'm going for an event, um, or I'm going for a meeting. I don't really go out much for like just like chilling or whatever. I prefer to stay in my house. By the way, which musical instruments do you play? Um, so I play piano. Um, uh, so I was classically trained as a pianist. And wow. I also play a bit of guitar. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 
I just it just relaxes me. Like you know, I I do it as a way to like when I get stuck, for instance, when I'm coding, I'll just go and sit on my piano and just play to get my mind off it and then come back. You know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go for a run. I also try to remain physically active, so I I go to the gym, I run on the treadmill. Yeah, that's, that's every now and then. One of the things that I feel like software engineers neglect, like you have to take care of yes. your body. That's extremely important. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I've, I've st- I started having back issues like three years ago. Um, you know, like uh, I sit on my desk for a while. I, I feel back pain. You know, I lie down for a bit. I feel back pain and stuff. Um, so, yeah, so like physical exercise is definitely very important. And, you know, every now and then standing up, taking a walk, things like that, because you we, we spend so much time on our on our laptops that, you know, you don't realize how much time you're just spending sitting down, not not remaining active uh, and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I started last year, but I guess I want to be more serious about it this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there was a question I wanted to answer about, um, you know, so like I get this thing very often, like people ask me, you know, why do you spend so much time mentoring people? Why is this so important to you? Um, you know, things like that. So, um, so like I said, you know, I, I, you know, I interviewed with Google and Facebook and I failed those interviews and, you know, and then I took part in some competitions online, like, um, uh, you know, Google Code Jam, um, Facebook Developer Challenge. Um, there's, there's a bunch of other ones and Top Coder, uh, you know, and one of the things that I noticed was it's, it was so interesting how, um, the people who end up doing really well in these competitions are always people who had, uh, you know, the advantage of, you know, starting how to code or learning how to code from a younger age. And they also had the guidance to know exactly what they need to learn. Right. And these are things that we didn't get. or we, you know, when I was starting, it didn't exist. There was no, there was no one in my position today that would have, you know, given me help when I was starting basically right um so i don't i don't want us so i don't I, I basically don't don't want to you know with everything that i know now i don't want someone out there who could use that guidance to go through the same process that i've gone through to you know learn with the things that i know today like they should be able to learn these things faster so that they can do even better by the time they reach my level you know what i mean um, so that's why I am very big on mentoring and coaching. Um, you know, there are many people who feel like they can't even get into the industry because they came from this background. They don't know what to do. Um, there are people who feel overwhelmed with all the things that are out there that they need to learn. They don't even know what they should be focusing on, um, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, if, if we are going to be um, making ourselves as competitive as, you know, our colleagues in Europe and Asia and US and other, other places, there is important that we, you know, equip ourselves with the right skills, um, have the kind of foundation that we should have, and then have the guidance from people who have been there before us so that we don't repeat the same mistakes and, you know, can do better. Um, so that's really what motivates me to, um, you know, give as much as I can um, to the community and just, you know, so it's, and, and it's interesting because there are people that I've, I've mentored um, that today are much better at some things that I, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I used to do myself. So like a couple of days ago, I was working on this code base in React and there's this guy, his name is Barry Ma. He's a front-end engineer and a designer. So he 
he came to me, um, you know, he didn't know anything about JavaScript. He was just basically a designer who started, um, he started by just like doing like poster designs and logos and things like that. And then he would get like, you know, jobs to do like website designs, but just a design part. So he wasn't actually coding it, right? So then he, he taught himself how to learn, how to, how to build websites, like front end, do HTML and CSS. But JavaScript was always very, you know, challenging for him, right? So like he, he didn't understand, you know, and all that. And today, you know, like I was, I was struggling with some components that was just, you know, giving me. And actually remember, it was interesting because some time ago when, when he would come to my house and then we'd be working and he'd show me some error, he'd be like, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I know what it is. And he'll be like, how do you just look at the code for like two seconds and then figure out exactly what the problem is when I'll be looking at it for like, you know, uh, five days? And I'll be like, it's experience, right? And so the same thing happened to me because, um, you know, I was looking at some code. I was like, I don't know why this is not working and all that. And then he looked at it for like 10 seconds and he's like, oh, yeah, I know why. And I was completely mind blown because I'm like, wow, so this boy has actually, you know, um, learned and you know grown so much from the time that he came to me first and then now he's doing you know all these amazing things right so i i like i want to hear more stories like that people that i've guided i've coached that today are better at some of the things that i taught them than even i um when 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 they get there then i feel like okay my job my job is done i've done i've done pretty well because they can then also go back and then take someone and then teach them exactly what they know right that's the only way we lift each other up, right? Um, you know, and then hopefully by the time we get to the stage in Africa where um, we have, you know, these massive problems that we want to solve and it becomes very clear that there is no way we can do them without technology, we will be thinking of hiring African talents instead of, you know, bringing people from outside to do that. Yeah, and, and when we get to that stage, we'll have people like you to thank. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think for me, I just, I think for me, like the, the, um, the, the biggest fulfillment would be, um, you know, to see people who, who would, who would say that, you know, from something that I did or like a talk I gave, or I don't know, some events I spoke to, or, you know, some opportunity that came across them because of something I did. They were able to make a career out of you know this that that would be you know that would be really fulfilling for me right so i want to like i guess like for me it's it's that that's what's more important i want to see more and more people um getting this field and making an actual career out of it um because they're not they're not that many of us if you think about it it's not it's not that many i'm sure if you if you took like all the software developers in ghana you could fit all of them in i don't know like a stadium and it won't even be full, <laughs> you know? So I want to see more people um, exploring that um, and, you know, not getting scared and not getting discouraged because, you know, there are a lot of things that will discourage you. So if, if through the work that I do and, you know, other people in the community do, people are able to actually stick and then, you know, um, make a career in it, then yeah, I, I, can, I can die a happy man. Cool. So we are reaching the end of this episode. Uh, is there anything that you're working on right now that you want to share? Uh, <laughs> um, what I'm working on right now is not ready to share, <laughs> but I would definitely, I would definitely, uh, I don't know, figure out a way. Maybe I can, I can give you a plug 
for you know an upcoming episode for you to to mention. At this point, it's still very early stages, so I'd rather not say anything. Uh, that's totally okay. But so since you don't have anything of your own to plug, is there anything that you've seen recently that you want to share with the community? Oh yeah. Um, so one of my favorite apps right now is AF Radio. It's, I mean, I've seen it when it started. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was it was just you know really basic. Um, I haven't checked it out in a while. And so when I went on CTFM for um, that uh, interview on City Trends, yeah. So people were asking me where they could check it out, where they could listen to it, and all that. And so I re-downloaded it, and then I checked it out, and it's changed so much, and it becomes so clean and yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, I'm really impressed. And the reason why I'm mentioning it is because, you know, in Ghana, we've had this, um, phase or this, this, this period we've gone through where people were basically building crappy apps. Okay. Like crappy apps. The user interface is, is crappy. It doesn't work for half of the time. And that has sort of become the standard. It's like you, you know, you take an app, you open it, you're like, Oh, that's a Ghanaian app because of how it looks. You know, it's Ghanaian. You know, it's like, you just, there's just something about the app that you know that, yeah. The person definitely didn't put enough thought into it. And so when you see an app that is well polished, well clean, it's hard to believe that it was done by, you know, Ghanaian engineers, right? Um, so AF Radio and there's a bunch of other companies that are, you know, really stepping up and, you know, like I'm lifting the bar to say, Hey, you know, we can locally write from Ghana here, build really great user experiences. Um, and this is what the bar should be, right? Um, so yeah, so I'm really happy with the work they've done. So kudos to the team, Google and the team there. Uh, it's one of my favorite apps. So like these days, when I when I when I'm talking, when people are asking me about, you know, like examples of you know apps that um, you know show what um, excellence means in the Ghanaian tech ecosystem, um, you know, AF Radio is the app I think about. Yeah, and and I think people would be even more impressed if they got to see the quality of the code behind it. I guess once you, if, if you ever get a chance to speak to Google, um, you should ask him more about that. Um, I mean, like he's, he told me once about the, the architecture of how they, you know, connect to, um, these radio stations and record the events. And I was, I was completely mind blown, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's, you know, like we, it, it's important we tell these stories as well because we need, people need to know that, you know, we have, you know, highly capable, highly experienced, um, you know, people in these spaces that you would think, only outside Africa you would get, right? Because many times, you know, people think about software engineers, they are thinking, oh, you're just building web apps. What else can you do, you know? Um, so it's important that we also tell these stories, you know, to show that, you know, even the highest, the most complex things are also being built down here and they are being built properly, you know? Great. Um, Adam, it was an honor having you on the show. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me. This was, this was really fun. Thanks a lot for coming. Thank you. This was another episode of the African Developers Podcast. If you have any comment or feedback, you can tweet at us at AfroDevPodcast. To be automatically notified of subsequent episodes, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. We are available on iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Stitcher, pretty much everywhere. 